welcome back to the Pros and Content Podcast brought to you by Notch. This season, we're talking to digital growth and demand gen marketers about how they use audience journey strategy and metrics to accelerate business growth. I'm Ellen Schwartz, Senior Director of Demand Gen here at Notch. In this episode, I was joined by Blake Strozik, Senior Demand Gen Manager at Transfix. He's done us all a favor and outlined three stages a marketer might find themselves in when launching a new demand gen program. Stage one, excitement. Stage two, apprehension. And stage three, decision time. As you listen in, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any further interviews that we have this year with growth marketers. Hope you enjoyed this interview with Blake Strozik. Hi, Blake. Welcome. Hey, Alan. Happy to be here. Really pumped to talk through this today. Awesome. So let's start off with the easy question. Tell us a little bit about yourself and Transfix. Sure. Yeah. So I've been in B2B for about uh, four years now. Right now, I'm working as a senior senior demand gen manager here at Transfix. So what Transfix is, is we're like a strategic digital freight brokerage. I know that's a mouthful, but we're uh, we're a digital freight brokerage with a couple of SaaS products. It's uh, really interesting. I spent a lot of time in B2B SaaS. So the SaaS side is exciting. And then we're having like a whole new element where I'm learning about things like margin and the supply chain. So it's a really great experience, really getting to kind of uh, round out my demand gen skills. So it's a really great place to work. So tell us a little bit about your background as well. I know you have a really strong background in demand gen too. So what is it that's keeping you in demand gen specifically? Yeah. So um, I guess take a step back before I got into like specializing in demand gen. So I started as a, um, you know, sole marketer. Like I was just a marketing manager at a small B2B tech company and I got to like handle everything. So I was like a true generalist, had to handle not just demand gen, but like the product marketing side, had to handle like our website, had to handle our content, had to be like a real generalist. And then from there, I knew I wanted to specialize. And so um, I wanted to specialize in like demand gen, paid media. And so I've been following a B2B marketing agency, Refine Labs. If you're on LinkedIn, you've probably seen them. And I've been following them for quite a while and have been attending their events. Well, one thing led to another and I actually ended up working there. So I worked there for about a year um, before I had this opportunity at Transfix come up. But when I was working there, I worked with about six series A through C B2B venture back SaaS companies and was able to see you know, their demand programs be built and be a part of that being built. Uh, for all of them. And so that was really interesting to see across, you know, even though they were all SaaS, serving different industries from restaurant owners, nonprofits, marketers, contact centers, really seeing like the whole gamut of uh, different industries and how those demand gen programs rolled out. So now I'm, you know, marketing supply chain folks. So again, it's like a different industry for me to do, but having that like prior experience has really helped me. And, you know, it's uh, really helped me shape my view, how I view demand gen and kind of seeing it at scale, you see trends and patterns, right? You see like what's worked, what's not, or like even how executive teams react to demand gen or marketing leaders themselves. So I feel like it's given me like a well-rounded background that, um, you know, I really enjoy it. Just it's it's always like every day you're problem solving. And like, I think that's the most fun thing for me to do because I always have something to work on and work through. So yeah, I love, love, love demand gen, love marketing. That's really great. And that's also what caught my eye about one of your 
current, your recent LinkedIn posts, I should say, is that you have seen that happen now, like at a few times, you said six or eight places that you were working with, and you'd noticed some things in common about the implementation of a Demi Engine program. So you actually have mapped it out into three stages. So why don't you give us a really quick overview of what are those three stages? And then let's just dig in and start to understand what a demand gen marketer could do about if you've noticed that you're in one of these stages. Yeah, sure. So I think, you know, when you start a new demand program, like when you start somewhere or if you're uh, working as in a consulting engagement or if you're an agency that does, you know, demand gen work, um, there's like three stages that like I've seen. So I've done it. We did it six times at Refine Labs. I work with a couple of clients and I'm like doing it full time at Transfix. And basically like boils down to stage one, there's like the excitement. It's like when everyone's like, oh, you know, like they have this vision of this well-run, well-oiled marketing machine that's bringing in qualified leads that is, you know, bringing in uh, buyers that are actually not just, you know, leads, but they turn into opportunities and it turns into pipeline and revenue. So this is this grand vision. So everyone's very excited, very bought in. So that's like stage one. It's like from like day one to, I don't know, maybe 45, like 45 days, like six weeks. And then there's stage two where it's like, there's a little bit of the apprehension. It's like the gap, right? Where it's, you go from that 45 day mark to like that 90 day mark. So like about the, to the three month mark. And that's where everybody, I think it's a little bit apprehensive and like, did we make the right choice? Is this working? Because when yeah. you're generating new demand in B2B, like, Sales cycles can be longer if it's, you know, not a high velocity sale where, you know, if it's a longer consultative sales process where they have to talk to a sales rep, they have to get internal buy-in budgets. It takes time to build up that demand. It takes time to see that as a business impact too. So that's when everyone starts to get a little bit apprehensive. Um, so there's some different things that people go through in that stage. And then there's finally like stage three, which is like, you know, from day 90 to 180, where it's the time when someone's got to like make a decision, right? Because at the three month mark, the 90 day mark, all the way through six months, that's when I find a lot of marketing leaders, leaders and executive teams make the decision, do you want to keep going forward with this program, this new program, this kind of new way of doing things, some new things we're testing out, or do we just want to go back to what we're comfortable with and what we know? And you know, the reality is that it's, it's not always an easy decision, right? Because it's like, you've got different um, factors at play. You've got uh, you know different uh, reporting metrics that you have to report on at the board level, at the executive level. You've got to, you know, if you're an executive team, you've got to figure out, you know, what's our runway as a company, where are we, you know, uh, where do we need to invest our resources from this funding that we've raised? And then that like trickles down into marketing where it's like, you know, in, within a marketing team, you've got different silos and looking at the demand team, like, are we using our money as efficiently as possible? So there's all these different factors that go on and play in the decision time. But I feel like once companies make it out of that, those three stages, that's when they're really set up for success. And it doesn't always work every time, right? Like each industry is different. Each industry requires new tactics and strategies. But those are like the three foundational stages. It's stage one, your excitement. Stage two, you're all apprehensive. Stage three, you make a decision whether you're going to stick with it or not. Yeah, I think it's important to understand that those are the three kind of the stages that you could find yourself in. Because especially I would say in B2B SaaS, it's like, like you said, these are longer sales cycles, but you're frequently looking at things quarterly or sometimes monthly. So if you are reviewing things more frequently, then you feel your, your program needs to run, you need to start 
A, setting expectations, B, possibly looking at leading metrics instead of the lagging ones, which everybody wants to see a sale come through, of course. But what are these other metrics that you could be understanding before that to kind of, you know, eventually make that call? And I think one of the other things you said within this is that you'll need to understand whether or not it's working and you might have some metrics to cut it beforehand to just say, you know what, we can tell this is flopping. But if not, you need to have the confidence in what it is that you're putting out there to say, no, like, give me another 90 days because I can see X, Y, Z. So could you dig in a bit to what you might look at? And like, if you find yourself in stage one, setting up this demand gen program, what is it that you would be looking to do and measure? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think stage one, right? If we're thinking about that in the first 45 day window, um, there's a couple of things I think you're doing there. Step one is you're looking at just setting up the foundational processes, right? So um, you're looking, how do I stand up, you know, whether it's at a, at a channel level, how do I stand up a Google ads campaign from strategy through execution? How do I stand up a LinkedIn campaign through strategy to execution? So there's like the standing up the foundational just processes and building that muscle that you have to do. So I think that's like one component within like the first 45 days. A second component, I think, is just setting the strategy. So understanding the customer, right? Before you even going into the tactics, like understanding, yeah, I'm in B2B SaaS, but who is my target customer? Uh, how do they buy? How do they consume information? And where are they at? And how can I communicate to them in those places where they're at? Preferably, you know, online or offline. Online, just easier because you have more scale. Um, I should say easier, but if they're more accessible, right? You have more yeah. scale, you can reach them through digital channels. So it's it's the foundational processes, building that muscle. It's uh, knowing your customer. And that's honestly should be like step one, but like you have to do all these in parallel. I was going to um, say, I was going to hop in. It's like, yeah. this is almost like a step zero. There's some information that you need before you get into day yeah. one of all the implementation. Yeah. Cause it's like, you have to have, you know, activity doesn't always equal accomplishment, right? So like, if you just go in there, like, okay, I'm going to pull all these levers from day one. You're probably going to, you're going to find yourself in a tough spot at day 90. And so it's like, yeah, the step zero, I think is a perfect way to frame it. Yeah, I love that, that you can you could be doing all kinds of things. But if you haven't set up your set yourself up for success in a certain way, you're just pulling levers. You're just saying, of course, I set up a Google ad. What do you mean I didn't target the right people? What do you mean I didn't see this? So you might wind up with metrics at the end of it that are meaningless, even though they're numbers. A hundred percent. Yeah. So I think it's that, that, that step zero, step one and a half, step you know one, whatever you'd call it. Right. It'd be like having the... Um, so the foundational processes, like the customer understanding, and then also I think there's a third component within that first stage, which is just mapping out to your internal stakeholders. Because I think you mentioned a really good point about setting expectations, and that's a big part of marketing's job, in my opinion. Like uh, if you're going to be a marketer that advances in your career, I really think that you need to be able to communicate expectations and. You need to like you know have an answer when they when your CEO asks you you know a, a question about you know are we spending money effectively how are we measuring this like you need to have an answer for that because I think there's a common thing at least in the online world especially in like B2B SaaS sometimes I feel like we get in a little echo chamber but there's a common thing where it's you know oh don't work for a CEO that doesn't get marketing and like while that's true like I really feel like you need to work in organizations that value the work of marketing not just as sales assistants but as you know like real partners with sales and the rest of the org, you do also have to communicate the value and, you know, expectation set. Like that's a big part of your job. And like the more and more I go into my career and like, 
the more and more I find how important that is. And I'm still learning how to do that, to be frank. But it's something where it's like, I kind of recognize the importance of it. So I don't know if you've come across that before, but those would be like the three buckets that I would uh, think of in the you know first 45 days. Yeah, I completely agree with what you just said. And as we talk with some of the clients that we work with, I know we just, we had a, an event with Zillow the other couple of weeks ago at this point in time, I guess, where he was saying, um, his name's Ian Port, he's from Zillow. He's saying, you know, about 50% of his work, he considers just setting those expectations and communicating what it is that he's trying to accomplish using either ABC metrics or something else that is really relevant to the rest of the org. So not only setting those expectations, but making sure, you know, kind of doing your own self-reflection to understand, are these expectations something that is shared outside of marketing so that it is valuable to the whole business, not just to you trying to do your own programs, but to the business trying to hit these goals. So absolutely. All right. So we've got some foundations set up. We've got some good processes set up in stage one. You've got those running Talk us through stage two. What would you be looking at there to understand if you should move to stage three? Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. That's an interesting way to frame it up from the the individual from Zillow. Um, So for stage two and like the apprehension phase or stage. So this is where you've set up, you know, you've done your customer research, you've mapped out your internal stakeholders and you've set up some programs, right? You've set up, you know, some channel, very uh, channel specific uh, campaigns. You've set up stuff on Google, set up stuff on LinkedIn, um, email, done a couple of different things, right? And so it's it's from this point where you've hopefully flighted a lot of things and then you need to start uh, measuring them, iterating on them, and then planning for like the next move. Like that's how I kind of see it in my mind, like the buckets. And so you have to do all those things because there's going to be, at least in my experience, there's going to be some internal um, pressure is probably the wrong word. But like, again, it goes back to the expectation setting. If it's not set or even if you've set them well, you have to keep setting them. Like it's not like once one and done. It's like you have to keep setting the expectations where you have to like start measuring those early indicators. Because as you talked about earlier, it's like everybody wants to see the sale. Everybody wants to treat B2B SaaS like we're D2C e-commerce where it's like, I can turn on my ads and programs and all of a sudden I'm going to see people, uh, you know, uh, added to cart, purchased, did all these things. And that's just not the case. Totally. It's just, it's cause it's, it, and it can be frustrating, right? It can be really frustrating because we feel like we work really hard. And then like, there's this, you know, you put all this work, these campaigns, this understanding mapped out these stakeholders. And then everyone's like, okay, where are the results? Is this even working? So like, that's right, where I think like to start. Yeah, with like no acknowledgement, even though we all know that the sales cycle is six, nine, sometimes I mean longer, depending on how enterprise you get. It is very much like we've turned LinkedIn ads on. How come we haven't booked 17 demos? And my kind of go to is like, I think I'm hilarious, but my LinkedIn ad is not going to sell $20,000 worth of software. Like if there's that direct line doesn't happen. It's a journey because people come in, they'll see a LinkedIn ad, they'll come back. They'll see, you know, if you're doing retargeting, you can come back. And I know Refine Labs is really good about talking about how you can lead them down that funnel journey a little bit quicker if you've got all the right data behind there. But understanding that even if you've done, you know, the, the first 45 days that we've talked about here, and now you're in this 45 to 90, which it feels a bit like wait and see, like mm-hmm. you have to just give them some time to churn in the background. I always think of it too, like the metaphor of like kind of churning the soil, like in a garden, how, like, what are you getting your fingers into? What are you kind mm-hmm. of rising, rising to the surface, sifting through and what's really going to say, I love that you bucketed it though, kind of as a measure, iterate and scale. So 
there are things you can be looking at tweaking, understanding in this second stage while you manage those expectations. Yeah, totally. And I think it really comes down to as well in the measurement side is not just measuring the current output, but really knowing your historical numbers. Because I that was something I would honestly add to stage one as well. But it's like, it's it's kind of ongoing. And while you're trying to stand up everything, you might not have this fully fleshed out. But knowing your historical numbers so that you have like a solid case of why you're doing a tactic. Like a really good example is I recently went through this with a uh, Series A company and they had been spending, you know, a couple of tens of thousands of dollars a month on Google ads. And what we did is we were looking at their budget and all they were trying to do with that was trying to capture demand, which we like recognize as like, okay, to meet the increasing revenue goals we're going to need to do things that are going to help create demand. And so what we did is we just pulled all of our Google ad spend. So, uh, you know, year to day by month. And then we looked at of that spend, what if that became like a lead, what request a demo or an enterprise trial, free trial, whatever. And then of those leads that came in, which of those actually generated into a stage one or stage two opportunity? And when you look at it through that lens and you have like that really clear picture of like, this is like the business data, not like the marketing fluff data of like clicks and impressions and reach, which is important. But when you actually look at like the data there, you can see, okay, we spent, you know, let's make up a number, right? Not this example I was using, but let's make up a number. We spent a hundred grand on Google ads. And of that a hundred grand, only uh, 50% of it went to keywords that actually generated, you know, pipeline. And not even looking at closed one revenue, but just pipeline at this phase. Well, we can really make the assumption that if we just turn that other 50% off, yeah, we would lose clicks and traffic and all of those things. And yeah, maybe there are some keywords in there that we could target. But you could probably turn that all off, $50,000 worth of spend or whatever the amount is, and not lose any business impact. And I think like when you're rooted in that reality and you can uh, you know, leverage the historical data to kind of make your case about these new tactics you're going to try it really helps you paint a better picture of like, okay, here's what we've tried. Here have been the results. Here's why I'm making a decision to pivot some of this budget. So I don't know if you've gone through anything like that in your experience or seen that with some of the marketers you talk to, but like I would put that in stage two. That's a really good way to kind of quell that apprehension that you might come across. Yeah, and I think what you said is really important to where you will be losing some of those, the fluff metrics, I think is the word you used, to where you're gonna lose clicks by turning this $50,000 off. But if you take it beyond the top, I don't like to say vanity metrics because I think every metric is useful in some sense. Yeah, sure. But if you're really trying to tie it to the business results, like those clicks are not valuable. Those are not something that you want to repeat because they're not turning into any form of pipeline, any form of business. So again, it goes back to that setting expectations. If you do have someone in your marketing world or even in your business world, who's going to look at only metrics, like set that expectation from the beginning to say, the reason we're turning these off is ABC. Like we saw better success over here, even, and I think, you know, as much as like saving the 50 grand, but think even if you invested that hypothetical 50 grand into the 50 grand that is working, and then you would expect to see ABC results super important to kind of understand which metrics to use for which audience too. So why don't you lead us into step three? So we're, we've made it through the apprehensive peoples and people wanting to pull the plug because they're not seeing $7 million worth of pipeline right off the bat. What do we do at the very kind of the last 45 days? 
Yeah. So I think like when you're in that decision time aspect and honestly, three to six months might not be enough time, right? It really depends on the business, but like, let's just say it's three to six months. Cause that's always when regardless yeah, of the sales cycle of the company, that's when people are looking at it. Um, I think in this stage, so you, you stood up your programs, you've been measuring, you've been iterating and you've been trying to figure out what's next. This is when you have to like really see if what you're doing is starting to work because you should see some early indicators. And I think one thing that I still fall into the trap of is I have in my head that, you know, we're going to build this type of engine where we're going to have all these different channels rolling. And I just believe it's going to work. And really what you have to do is like, you can still believe it and be optimistic, but you do also have to ground yourself in reality. Cause like if the data shows that it's not working, that's okay. I mean, your CEO might not think it's okay. And your CFO might not think it's okay. But like for as a marketer, I feel like you have to think that's okay. Because at least I know that I tried this and it didn't work. And then you can evaluate, okay, why wasn't this working? And then this is assuming like it's not working, right? I'll talk about if it's working in a second. But like, why isn't this working? What can we change? Was it, is, is our audience not on this channel? Do we have like the wrong, you know, flow for them? Are we not educating them? Do they, you know, if we're using Google ads, is it not working because, you know, we're not, we don't have a great landing page. There's all these different tactical things you can go through to make like ladder up to the strategic, like, does this make sense for our audience? But so I think that's what I would think of if it's not working, right? Think of all those things. But if it is working, then it's like you can have clear business metrics to show, look, we might not have the sale yet because we have a nine month sales cycle. But when we compare our year over year uh, opportunity volume from this month to last year, we can see an increase. And then when we look at our demo request to meeting or meeting to, you know, stage one opportunity or stage two opportunity, have you set up, when we look at those conversion rates, we should see an increase. So even though you're not seeing that sale yet, you should see within your marketing funnel, some efficiencies starting to happen. Um, hopefully you're seeing them sooner as opposed to later. But again, every company, you know, your sales cycle is going to be different. And it's, it's, it's really like, I wish I could just say like, I wish you'd give me a business be like, oh, we could tell by three months whether you'll be successful or not. And it really just depends. Like every business is unique as much as everyone kind of hates that consultative answer of like, it depends. It really does depend on like your unique business. A hundred percent. It depends. I mean, I think that's something that as I embrace that more as a marketer myself, it calms me down quite a bit because it's really easy to look over and see the people who are just like loud and have a perfect market fit, especially right now to say like, oh my gosh, why can't we, well, we'll just replicate what they're doing for their business. And I would say too, the other thing I wanted to point out is when you're saying it's not working, it's really easy to feel, I think, defeated in that moment. And like, oh, it just didn't work. Instead of flipping that script to say, well, it didn't work, but I learned not to do ABC anymore. Or we got some great data that showed this is, it's good for top of funnel to bring people in, but then like we didn't put the right piece next or whatever mm -hmm. that might be. So there's always, always something to be learned, even if it means you're eating a little bit of crow. Exactly. Totally. I mean, it's just, it's all about having like the abundance mindset of like, Hey, I ruled out one thing that didn't work. So now I can go focus on the thing that's going to work. Yeah. So I wanted to um, dig into your work at Transfix just a little bit. Would you say that it's a true SaaS company maybe to begin with? Because my thought is you're going to be building demand in an industry that's less reliant on the internet to make decisions. How is that going to pivot what you do? Yeah, it's super interesting. And honestly, I'm about two months in and still 
still figuring it out compared yeah, to congrats staff. by the way with yeah. the new with the new role i should have yeah, said no, that at the top you. yeah i appreciate that um yeah no i i think really for what it is is you know fundamentally b2b buyers are just people right and people's buying perceptions have changed where you know they're going to look for information in different places just very much like on a podcast like this in communities like you all have like that doesn't change i think by industry but what does to your point some industries are going to be more prone to use the internet for buying decisions as opposed to others. Like B2B SaaS, everybody's on the internet, everyone's on social platforms. It can be, you know, communities, all that stuff. And in like different industries like supply chain and logistics, what I'm kind of figuring out is that it's definitely a little bit different. And I'm it, really what it comes down to is back to the like the fundamentals in stage one. And I'm like working through stage one and stage two, where it's like figuring out like, knowing your customer, knowing how they buy, knowing where they are. And so there's like, of course, things that we've stood up that we're trying. We're trying different things on uh, different digital channels like LinkedIn, like Google ads. We're kind of going through that phase where it's like measure, iterate and improve and working through those. But honestly, this is the type of uh, opportunity where I'm really excited about because I get to learn so much. Like I don't have all the answers. I never have all the answers, but I especially don't have them here. But I have like the foundational skills of, you need to figure out your audience, figure out where they are and utilize these channels in a way that align with how they buy. And so I think that's what's exciting about this opportunity. So maybe I'll be able to report back in like six months, like, hey, we crushed it with this. But right now, still really figuring out the uh, groundwork and the foundation of how do we like, uh, you know, number one, get acquisition going and how do we scale it? I love that. I love your approach to that and that you're ready to learn a lot more. So I would love to check in with you in six months and understand how this worked and how you're even implementing your own three stages into your day-to-day at Transfix. So just to really quickly summarize what we talked about today. So you've got these three stages of when you are implementing a demand generation program. So the first one, well, we'll add the zero, right? So zero is foundational. Know your audience. That's right. Know your audience, do some research, understand what a few good a few good places might be before we jump in. Stage one, so the first 45 days or so would be excitement. Everybody is bought in and they're ready for you to have these great new ideas. You're going to be looking for some leading indicators, maybe better traffic, better conversions. Stage two, so kind of that six weeks to 12 weeks, 45 to 90 days, somewhere in there is that you kind of have to wait and see. People get nervous because your analytics review might be a little bit shorter than your actual sales cycle. So they're trying to understand, is this bringing in leads? Are they better quality? And you might need to have some pushback and have some data ready to say, hey, we've got these leading indicators and or just to say the plan was for longer than this. So can you give me give me the time that I asked for? And then stage three is decision time. So this, as you mentioned, this is going to vary from company to company, depending on your sales cycle. But you're really hoping that you're starting to see something you can act on, whether that is, yes, this worked or nope, it didn't. And here's what we learned. Because what you're hoping to ultimately track to is more than the marketing metrics that you're used to probably measuring against and instead tying it to pipeline doesn't have to necessarily be a sale, but something that's showing you've generated some revenue somewhere that might eventually convert. I don't think I'm ever going to be that eloquent in my life again. That was a great summary. I was like, (laughs) wow, like that was, I just, yeah, that was great. No, that was a great summary. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. I'm I'm not going to lie. I'm a little, I'm like high on how well I just did that. But (laughs) 
That brings us to the lightning round where we ask you some things that are barely related to your work. Um, first of all, just to wrap it up, what is keeping you up at night as a growth marketer? Definitely just figuring out how do I get into, how do I get, get to the places where my target audience, my prospects, my uh, ideal client profile is, how do I communicate with them? Like, so how do I get there? How do I communicate with them? And then how do I, you know, bring them in when they're engaged? Like, that's like the number one thing until that's solved, that will always keep me up. That's yeah, that's smart. And I would say, is that heightened right now, since you just mentioned that you're learning all kinds of things about not just transfix, but that new industry you found yourself. Totally, totally. Gotta, gotta, uh, yeah, gotta, gotta, gotta fig- figure some things out. We're getting there, but yeah, that's that's totally <laughs> like when you're new in a place, new industry. That's totally what I'm trying to figure out and solve for right now. All right, we'll send some melatonin your way. Maybe help you sleep a little better. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, is there a marketing campaign that you point to as kind of your pinnacle, the thing that you would love to replicate if you could? I've seen a lot of uh, cool marketing campaigns. I know everybody's kind of got a different definition of what a marketing campaign is, but um, I will mention like one thing I did work on with a client uh, once was a just really genuine, like uh, authentic campaign where it was just literally like somebody from the team getting in front of a camera and like talking to their ideal, um, ideal cl- like to their audience. And it was like just a really, really cool campaign because the feedback was insane. Like we ran it as a paid ad. There was this great, like authentic feedback with like comments and likes and discussions. And it was just really, really interesting. So like, I always keep that in my head because that like seemed to really hit the mark for the target audience. So I always keep that in my head. Like, how can I hit the mark like that? Cause I never seen anything quite hit like that before. And I'm like, okay, how do I replicate that before, but for whatever industry I'm in? So I'm hoping I can figure out what's the supply chain and logistics thing that's going to be just like that. That's what I'm trying to figure out. I love that. I love authenticity in all its forms, but I think that's especially tying it back to marketing. It's just like chef's kiss, right? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Best place you've ever traveled. When I was in college, I studied abroad with my now wife, which is girlfriend at the time. Uh, We studied abroad in Florence, Italy. And that was like the best month ever. Like that was awesome. No kidding. What a gorgeous spot. Mm -hmm. Well played. Um, All right. And then final, final question. What was your pandemic cliche? Did you bake sourdough bread? I did not do sourdough. I definitely did do Tiger King. I gained my COVID-19, even though it was a little bit more than 19 uh, pounds. <laughs> but uh, it was, it was, it was, it was, you know, I don't know. Those early days of the pandemic, like they're like, I, I, I almost like, like, were they real? Like, did that actually happen? Like, I know like there was a lot of, you know, craziness in the world, but I'm just like thinking when we were all in isolation, like, was I really uh-huh. watching a guy with a, with a, like a home zoo and like, we were all watching that. Is that did that happen? But yes, that, that, that would be my yeah. cliche. It was such a frenzy. It was was. like, I know things are like been going viral for years now, but that was just like the whole world was talking about Tiger King. Yeah. And I I just like went around my house, like mimicking his voice. My wife was sick of it. So it's it's probably a good (laughs) thing that Tiger King is over. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's in jail now. So (laughs) thank your wife. Thank your wife for, or maybe she's thanking him for going to jail. So you can stop Yeah. She's like, okay, this, this is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, really great. Well, thank you so much, Blake. It has been great chatting with you. What would you want listeners to take away from this episode? If you're not already, make sure you connect with other 
if you're in B2B marketing, connect with other B2B marketers. Like that has been the single greatest thing for me, especially like really over the past 18 months, I've really gone deep into that. And that has helped me immensely. So like, there's all these different things that I'm talking about, like from my experience, but like everyone has a unique experience. Like Alan, you've got experience, everyone listening to this, you have your own experience. And like, when you connect with other people and learn about their experiences, share your own, like it just makes you better. It makes them better. And it kind of gives kind of gives me peace of mind, right? When I hear about other people going through similar challenges, like that's a great thing. So whether that's being active on LinkedIn and a community, wherever, or, you know, just like DMing someone just like, Hey, can we hop on a zoom? Um, maybe a little bit more flesh out on that, but like, that would be the number one thing I would take away if I was listening to this is just like get involved with other B2B marketers because it's going to like help you just up level your own game and craft. I, I like that. I think it can be as simple as, Hey, can we hop on a zoom? I think that's, I think it's great. I think it's, very actionable advice as well. So thank you for that. And how can people find you if they'd like to connect? Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn, Blake Strozik. There are two of us in the United States that I know. Uh, I am the one with the Transfix logo behind me. The other guy (laughs) is in like North Carolina. So that's not me. But you can just find me on LinkedIn, Blake Strozik. Okay. And, you know, extra promo to other Blake Strozik in case you're listening. Yeah, if you awesome. get people hitting him up from the podcast, I'm going to, because him and I have messaged back and forth like, hey, we have the same name, but he gets people hitting him up. I can't wait to hear. You know, in the early days of Facebook, I actually friended someone who had the same exact spelling of my last name because there's an extra E at the end of the Schwartz. And for the longest time, it was like, if you had that, you were my cousin. And so for each of us to have been like, oh, you're a Schwartz with an E, but I've never met you. It was very much a novelty back in 2004. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's a funny story. Right. So, well, thank you again so much, Blake. It's been great having you. To our listeners, thank you so much for spending time with us. And if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to Notch Pros and Content wherever it is that you're currently listening to us. This season, digital growth and demand gen marketers are sharing how they use audience journey strategy and metrics to accelerate business growth. Find us online at notch.com, K-N-O-T-C-H.com. Thanks for listening to Pros and Content. Don't forget to subscribe if you found this episode informative. This season, we're focused on how marketers prove their contribution to business growth at all stages of the funnel. Find more episodes wherever you're listening and learn more about uncovering your organization's true audience journey at notch.com. That's K-N-O-T-C-H dot com.